0: have I walked into here? Are well, there are two lunatics in this room, or only one, and if one, which? <laughs> and then he told me, what really clinched it for me, I had told him I'd been wandering around looking for somebody to go to confession to, and I didn't know Los Angeles, and he said. and I blundered into him, he said, you think you came in here by some kind of a fluke? You didn't come in here by any fluke. You were brought to where you are right now, here with me. Because, you see, I'm an alcoholic. I was a chronic drinking alcoholic for more years than you've been. And I'm the only priest in Alcoholics anonymous for miles around here. And if you think you came here by some kind of a fluke, you're even stupider than you look. And that's what has me here today. He didn't let go of me until I was in AE. told me, you'll never get well, he said. You'll never get well as, you th- as long as you think that doing what you're doing now is the remedy for what's wrong. With you. come into confession to confess sin. That is not your problem. That is not your problem. You haven't sinned in any of these awful stuff that you think is awful. You've only been what the allergy to alcohol alcohol makes an alcoholic be. A self-destructive jackass. Destroying even every vestige of self-respect. Doing deliberately what you know you're going to hate yourself for doing. That's an alcoholic program to. I am not a sinner. I have never sinned since I crossed the dividing line between being alcoholic and non-alcoholic, between being addicted and non-addicted. No, I've just been a puppet on a string. Till these two ideas are firmly implanted. And we do business with the Almighty with those two basic understandings, the two things that you take as red that He takes as red, and that there's no no dispute about whatever. He loves me. He loves me out of sight. He loves me as greatly as God can love at all, and I am not a sinner. I'm just a poor, self-destructive jackass. A self-destructive as some kind of a stupid sheep who gets itself under the hedges as I've seen them in the little fields in Ireland with the thorns and the wriggling and wriggling and putting the thorns further and further into their skin. And the farmer comes along and drags them out, you stupid beast. Puts his arms around them and picks the thorns out. Is what we are in the sight of God. This is the basis in which we approach God and do business with God in prayer, in Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Did you ever notice anything odd about that phrase? Prayer and meditation. I always thought meditation was a form of prayer. Well, what the heck are they talking about then if they talk about prayer and meditation? As if meditation was something else again besides prayer. The reason is very simple. Bill W. and Dr. Bob were the product, spirituality-wise, of their membership of what was called the Oxford Group, which was a spirituality group. They were members of the Episcopalian <laughs> Church. And they knew what everybody who knows anything about this business called prayer, all over the world knows, it's always known. But there are two kinds, two forms of prayer. What's called contemplation and meditation. They knew that. But they also knew that if they started exhorting alcoholics to go in for contemplation, that would be the end of the right there. So they used the generic word, prayer. The kind of prayer that brings about conscious contact with God. (coughs) Contemplation. What is contemplation? Guys, I want to tell you what it is, and I want to tell it to you, and there's nothing, nothing stronger, more intense in my heart as I try to tell you guys this than that you would really, really appreciate it, and go for it, make it part of your regular daily life. It's so simple. And so unbelievably wonderful. A great man way back in the 4th century, he was a black man in the North, North Africa, established Christianity there, and taught the natives, the natives, the colored natives of that region, how to contemplate. And his works have come down to us, this great St. Augustine. You do three things. You first of all, put yourself in a situation where you block out everything and everybody. It's called a prayer of quiet, quiet, quiet time. It's, to be la- it's going to last for about six minutes, this quiet time. And you're going to have it in your daily routine now, every day, by the time I'm finished with you, before you leave here. You get to somewhere where you shut out all interruptions, all awarenesses, awareness of what's going on in your work life, what's going on in your family life, every awareness, every concern, every anxiety, every preoccupation, shut it all out, out. Empty your mind of everybody and everything and switch on. Awareness of God. Awareness of his realness. God is real. God is real. He's the most real reality that there is. Because he's the source of all that's real. God. His realness. His nearness. Or hearness. He doesn't exist away off in the outer fringes of outer space. No. He's as close to me as the air that surrounds me that I cannot see. The air that's within me that keeps me alive. He's as close to me as my eyelids are to my eyes. But these things up here are not constructed for seeing him. He's not the kind of reality that can be seen by these things, but he's there, he's here. Maybe there's a, a radio transmitter on a mountaintop somewhere there, emitting, radiating the sounds of the newscaster, the orchestra, the music, and those sounds are in here, they're here. You can't hear them, because the apparatus has to be switched on that can receive them and hear them and make them audible to us. They're here. God is here. As close to me as the air that surrounds me. Switching on awareness of his realness, his here-ness and what he is like. Awareness of what's going on inside him. Awareness of the content of his awareness in being aware of me. And letting that awareness, the awareness of the content of his awareness of me, what he's thinking as he looks at me, what he's feeling, as he looks at me, affect me. Deep down in my gut, letting myself become touched to the raw nerve of my innermost soul. Touched, moved by my awareness that he loves me. Me as I am. Loves me out of sight. Wants for me. Everything. He has wanted for that one. To whom he said. You are my beloved son. Wants for me. The highest. The richest. The most precious. Of what there is. To want. Contact. That's a Latin word, conscious contact. Tactus is the word for touch. Contact is mutual touching. You may have engaged in it maybe once in a while. (laughs) It can give you a thrill once in a while. This is it. This is it. Contact. What's in his heart towards me touches me deeply, affects my heart, and makes there be in my heart what he wants there to be in my heart towards him because he loves me. Mutual contact. The contemplate is to do the most natural thing in the whole wide world. You need no brains to do it. All you need is to be human. That's all. It's not something that only rare people are called to. We're all called to it. We're all God's kids that he loves out of sight. Not to engage in making love to God enjoying and God-making love to me. It's the most abnormal, the most abnormal thing imaginable. And that's the basis of all that's wrong with us. That's the basis of it all. With desolation, says one of the ancient Hebrew prophets, talking to God's people, with desolation is the whole land lay desolate, because there is no one who thinketh in the heart. To think and to let what you are thinking or aware of affect your heart, that is contemplation. To switch on awareness of God, of what he is like, of his Embarrassing closeness to me. If he had a human visage and I could see it, what would I? What kind of an expression would be on that face? Two eyes shining with love, with pride. (laughs) My little boy, my little kid. But he has plans for. Wonderful, amazing plan. I would I would melt with the shock, with the joy to seeing what there in his heart, joying in God making love to me, sun bathing in the warmth, in the loveliness of God's love the most normal thing in the world if God is real if we believe he has a stake in us an interest in us if we believe he actually helps us to go through our days our nights our weeks our months our years never adverting if he wasn't there at all or as if he was some kind of a snooty, snobby, superior being, but no time for the likes of me. This is appalling, appalling. Until we feel it in our guts that it is, nothing is ever going to happen. And you can dismiss what I'm telling you, and no more be aware of it, and continue on through your days and your life, through your uttermost detriment. Fall in love with God
1: Fall in love with him.
0: to romance about him to fantasize after all we're only here for a little while we don't belong here at all we're going to be with him a hell of a long time if we want it he won't give us anything we don't want he won't force anything on us anything Sobriety, serenity, contentment in living, whatever is in the hereafter in store, none of it will be ever forced on us. It's what you want. It's what you want that he wants you to want is all that matters. That is it. That's it all. When I was a little kid next door to our shop at home in a little village where I was raised up. There was a junk, junk shop, one of those pawn shops. I don't know what the heck it was. And I used to wander in there. And they used to have those old ornaments. I don't know if you ever see them now. They would have those crystal things hanging off, you know. And you'd pick them up and look through them, and you see all the colors of the rainbow. Do you know what I mean? A prism, yes. No, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. No, there's another thing in there I want to tell you about. That was where I first found a magnet. A lump of metal, that's a magnet. So the shape of a horseshoe. And I found out that you could take a pin and gradually let the pin go towards the magnet. And out of a sudden, when it would have become magnetized with the magnetism of the magnet, it would jump and stick to the magnet. Hang on. And the pin itself would have become a magnet, able to do what a magnet can do. And you could stick another pin onto the pin, and another pin onto that pin. And I used to play with this as a little kid, and be amazed at it. Since I was introduced by another sponsor to the way AAs are meant to pray, to contemplate, I often think of that. To let myself be magnetized with the magnetism of God. This is how I become like him. This is how I become like him. Well, when we broke off at the last talk, I was about to begin to help you to appreciate how to appreciate God's love and how to respond to it. Because it is precisely in doing that that we go to the real remedy for all our problems. You know, I don't know whether I've said it already, but if I have, it needs to be said again. All kinds of people imagine that to have our relationship with God the way it needs to be for our recovery, you have to get rid of all your character defects first, or your sins, whatever you want to call them, and then maybe you can get close to God and God can get close to you. It is exactly and precisely the other way round that the whole thing has to happen. You get close to God first. You get close to Him by taking it totally for granted that He loves you with His whole, whole heart. Really loves you. You're acceptable to Him as you are. And unless that is the bottom line of all our dealings with him, we're way, way, way off key. And so this is where it all has to start. By contemplation. Making love to God. Responding to God. Making love to you. Loving you. If you look at the blackboard, and I don't know whether you can see what I've put up there or not, this little time slot that there has to be in each day of our living, that I call quiet time, if it's to be fulfilled in the way our AA literature intends, it has to have three components. I don't know whether you can see them on that board or not. Number one, contemplation, making love to God. Number two, meditation, which is towing and flowing, meditare, meditare, looking in one direction and then looking in another. Medi-tardly. Being in the middle, looking there, and then looking there. Like a a person who's uh, at the net of of a tennis court. Looking there, and the ball goes there. Turning right, and the ball goes right. Left, right. Looking from one to the other. Looking at God. Looking deep down into his heart and what's there radiating on you. And being so happy about it. And then looking at yourself. The real, real you. Fourth step. Tenth step. This is the context in which what we call uh, inventory has to be taken. You never take inventory in isolation from... The awareness of God that's envisaged through contemplation. Inventory is not introspection. That's not inventory. That's an infallible prescription, introspection, for despair, for self disgust, for a feeling of hopelessness. This is not inventory taking as envisaged by our literature. You never take inventory, except in the context of quiet time, having first engaged in contemplation. And it's only then, with the awareness bubbling, bubbling, bubbling inside of us, he loves me, he's on my side. He knows more about me than I know or ever will know. And with knowing it all, he loves me. He wants to relieve me of what I can't relieve myself of. And he is able to. And it's only when the goody, goody, goody feeling about that is on one side of my guts that then the other feeling about my real self can be activated. Despair. The awful feeling of knowing that I'm powerless over all these character defects that are devouring like beasts. Devouring my sense of well-being, relaxation, serenity, and happiness. There's a tension all the time looking to him and what's in his heart. feeling good, looking to myself and what's deep, deep down in my own damaged, damaged personality, and feeling awful about that. And those two feelings clash and you go down on your knees. And there's component number three. Praying only for the knowledge of his will and for the power that he alone can give me to carry it out. This is quiet time. This is dealing with God, having the real me dealing with him. God will only do business with what is real. God is the source of all that's real simply isn't at home with make-believe with phoniness with self-deception he'll only be with what is the real and if I don't want to get in touch with the real me then he'll never get in touch with me nor the me with him now this is the picture you need to have in your mind for to appreciate what this eleventh step is all about. Quiet time. Before you leave here tomorrow, I'm praying and hoping that every man jack of you is going to leave here with a firm, firm intention. And this is all that has to be the fruit of this weekend, and if this is not the fruit of this weekend, as far as I'm concerned, it's a total failure. You're going to leave here tomorrow with your mind made up that there's going to be a certain time slot. Six minutes is all. Two minutes for contemplation. Two minutes for for, uh, inventory taking. Two minutes for asking, asking. Praying the prayer of petition, of asking. Praying for the knowledge of his will and for the power to carry it out. Six minutes time slot. You're not going to leave here tomorrow until you have taken a piece of paper and a pencil and you're going to write down and put it in your wallet. My quiet time is going to be when, when, when. Put the time down. Quiet time is a section of time. You've got to determine the time or there is no time for it. So don't just kid ourselves. You're all going to be saying to yourselves by the time I'm finished with you, Oh, he's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we should have quiet time. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, when, when? There's going to be no quiet time until your when is determined, nailed down, <coughs> fixed, in concrete. Is it going to be first thing in the morning when you get up? Before you shower? After you shower? Is it going to be with your first cup of coffee? Fine. Is it going to be halfway through the morning? Maybe at your work in the bathroom or somewhere? Is it going to be when you come home in the afternoon, evening? Before you have your dinner? After you've had it? Make your mind up now, please, or there'll be none. Now, that's all I want to hammer into you for openers. Now, let's get back to this business. Making love to God. Joying in God making love to you. You switch on awareness of His realness, His awesome, embarrassing nearness. He's on top of me. Awareness of what He is like. What's going on in His awareness of me? What's in His heart towards me as He is aware of me? and letting that awareness of what his awareness consists in make me feel good. Make me feel, oh God, oh God, I'm so glad I mean so much to you. You've no idea what it means to me. And it means everything to me. God, you are all that matters. Of course you are. Do make me appreciate you. He's a loving God. That's what I have up there. Contemplation of God. A loving God. A saving God. Saving us from our own self-destructiveness. As only He can. And that's what His love consists in. This word, love, is the most bandied about, trivialized, desacralized word in the whole language. It has become a laugh. You don't, if you have any sense, you don't mention it anymore in serious company. Love. What does it mean? When God says to you and to me, Buddy, I love you. What does God mean by that? There's no way you can, can ever rejoice over him loving us if we don't know what he means by what he's saying when he says, I love you. What does he mean? When two kids, college kids, are down at the beach on an August moonlight night He's in his bathing trunks. She's in her bikini and the lion there on the beach. And he whispers to her, honey, I love you. We all know what he means, huh? We all know what he means. translate Translation, honestly, into plain, plain, what I call Pat Murphy language. What does he mean? You've said it. <laughs> he means I find you very desirable, my dear. Especially without your bikini. I need you. I want you. I want what your body can give me. I hope your my body appeals to you like yours appeals to me. We could do wonderful things together, honey. I love you. <laughs> But is that what it means? Is that what it means when God says to us, I love? Is that what he means? Good God, no. But if it isn't, then what does he mean? I'm going to take a risk and tell you a story that expresses what I understand what God means when he says to us, I love you. But this story that I'm going to tell you is true, but it's a way of expressing what an awful lot of people understand by what that word means on the lips of God who are Christians. I'm not saying just Roman Catholics. I don't think we should close our ears to anything we can pick up, no matter where, to help us to fill in blanks. And there's no holy blank. We don't know what in the heck God means when he says to us, I love you. So I'll tell you a story about God, which is a kind of a conflation of The history of God. The prehistory history history of God. That an awful lot of people have come to be aware of. This is how it goes. I tell it in baby language. To keep it simple, stupid. To keep the most mysterious, mysterious mystery simple. Here's the story of God, His story, His story, His history. God has a history, like every living being. And here's how it would go in baby, baby language. Once upon a time, before time ever was, when there was no universe, Earth, moon, stars, before anything ever existed other than God himself. God had a fantastic idea without ever beginning to have it. He got the idea that it was not good for God to be alone. Eons, eons, eons after he got this idea, he was going to make an image of himself. And the first thing he would say about the image he made of himself would be, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for God to be alone. God decided, without ever beginning to decide. And so he decided to do a utterly unthinkable, fantastic thing without ever beginning to do it. He dispossessed himself of whatever it is that makes God God. He dispossessed himself of it. He risked self-annihilation that another might be God. He let go and let God be and other and said here you enjoy it you enjoy it and so there was God from God light from light true God from true God he did something analogous to if you could imagine a healthy man with two healthy eyes coming across a blind man with just Empty sockets where his eyes should be. And the healthy man somehow takes out his own two eyes and gives them to the blind, blind man and says, Here, you enjoy, you enjoy the power of seeing. God did something more mad, more, more reckless, more crazy than that. And this product of his, this God from God, turned out to be the image of his begetter, who we now call his father. It was the image of his father. And he could only do what he saw his father doing. And so he surrendered back to God, and is forever surrendering back to God what God is forever bestowing on Him, whatever it is that makes God, God God. And each of them is in touch with it by getting rid of it, trying to get rid of it. Each of them finds their self fulfillment, paradoxically, in bringing about the self fulfillment of another. Through the total abnegation of self. And that wild, crazy, mad spirit that's common to them. That's characteristic of both of them. That good natured totally selfless spirit that's theirs. Is embodied in another person. Another person is their spirit, literally personified. And because he is, he experiences what it's like to be God in the way those two are God. By being himself, their own spirit of good naturedness personified. God, what does God mean when he says, I love you? What does he mean to that one to whom he says, You are my beloved son. Loved by me with all my power of loving. With my kind of loving. He means, I want for you the enjoyment of what it's like to be God. I want for you everything that I am. And that I have. That my joy. The joy that comes of being bottomlessly, limitlessly, selfless, outgoing, good-natured. The joy that comes of being that kind of being. Will be enjoyed by you. What does God mean when he says to us. I love you. I want for you everything that I have ever wanted for my eternal beloved Son my image. I want you to know the joy that you could never generate inside yourself because God help you I and only God can help you it's your nature to be The very opposite of selfless. You're self-centered. By nature. You have to be to survive. And I want you. To let me do for you. What you could never do for yourself. Change you completely. Change you into being. The kind of being I am. So as to have the kind of joy that's my kind of joy. Now listen again to what Bill Wilson said in that marvelous passage of chapter 5. All our troubles are of our own making. Because we make decisions based on self which later places us in a position to be hurt whether we get what we want for ourselves or whether we don't above everything we must be rid of this self-centeredness we must or it kills us God alone Makes this possible I never come to an end of being amazed of what these two drunks Bill Wilson and Dr. Paul found out about God they found out about God don't ask me how Something that it took the founder of Christianity to come into our world from God, they say, to make this fact about God known to us. These two guys knew it. And now a whole lot of other things. If you haven't wakened up to the fact that in Alcoholics Anonymous, you and I have stumbled in To the most fantastic thing on our planet today. Second to none. You really haven't. Been aware. Of your good fortune. And God's blessing to you. This is the pearl of great price. This is the treasure. Hidden in the field. This is the wisdom of God being made known. To the foolish of this world, you and me, the weak and the foolish, no one so weak as those who are powerless, no one so foolish as those who need you to be restored to sanity. they're the ones God makes himself known to experienced by. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know the enormity of what you're missing. If you don't live this program, if you don't have your quiet time every day, and close your eyes, and look with closed eyes into the darkness where God lives, beyond all our imagining, beyond all our dreaming, this Awesome being who whispers to us, I love you. And just sit down and see to yourself what he means by saying that to us. I want for you everything. I want for that son of mine who is God from God and God with me, who is your brother, your fellow man. I want for you everything I have wanted for you. That my joy will be in you. The joy that comes and that's not of this world and that the inhabitants of this grubby, grubby planet earth can never even imagine the happiness that comes in being totally selfless, totally good-natured, totally outgoing, Totally the opposite to being self-centered. Forever scheming and planning for what I want. And thereby forever setting themselves up to hurt, 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 hurt. And laugh at it all and say, it's wonderful. Wonderful to be drunk. Wonderful to be chasing after what's not going to satisfy me. Oh, it's great. There's only one answer to it all. I talked to you in the previous talk about the magnet. I used to fool around with as a little child. I will draw all people to myself, says the Lord. Draw them to me. If only they look at me. If only they ponder what's in my heart. They'll become magnetized like the, with the magnetism of the magnet. They'll become like me, really little earthly reproductions of me, true children of mine. The features that are my features become the features of their whole lifestyle. Outgoing, caring, compassionate, And finding a joy in that. (laughs) That's not of this world. And finding in whatever. Pure animal self-satisfactions. Come from self-centeredness and selfishness. (coughs) No joy at all. A loving God. And thereby a saving God. (coughs) What is it to pray? What is it to engage in quiet time, to look at him, to become spellbound at what's in his whole, whole mind and heart towards us? Not offering us merely pie in the sky in the life to come. No! My peace I give you, which the world you live in cannot give you, my peace. He used the Hebrew word Shalom. The word that is, signifies all over well-being. Sense of well-being. God's peace. Do you know when the founder of Christianity said those words? As he was walking out into the storm that engulfed him on Good Friday. Going to a doom that was just Indescribable. All through the mistaken misapprehension of them of others. It was nobody's fault. They knew not what they did. Nobody's fault.
1: And nobody must ever, 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 in the design
0: of God, find fault with anybody involved in it. Anybody. But he knew what was going to happen. And here he is talking about the great peace that's in his heart going to be butchered kicked in the face spat on lied about scurriedly whooped the flesh off his bones disowned hounded through the streets of his own city torn from literally from, from pillar to post mocked scarred. Every single anguish and agony you and I have ever experienced, experienced them all with peace in his soul. No fright, no panic, no resentments, no nothing. My peace I give you that the world can never give you. What is it to pray? To make love to God. To God who loves. the God who means by that word something that this world knows nothing of. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And that we have to rediscover. We have to rediscover what it means to say back to him. God, I love you. I love you. What do you mean by that? What does He want you to mean by that? I appreciate your love. Dear, dear, kind, compassionate, loving, loving God. Powerful God. I appreciate you. The hardest thing for you and I to believe about God is what? That He can change you. Change me. You never know, can change me from being the self centered, ambitious, scheming, phony, But I am. My God, (laughs) they're powerful, all right. They're certainly more powerful than I am. This is what God wants to hear when we say it back, I love you. I believe that you can do for me what I cannot do for myself. He means, he wants us to mean I reciprocate your love. I appreciate it. And I'm appreciating it when I'm saying I want for me all of what you want for me. That saying to God I love you. You are all that matters to me. Like if the pin fell in love with, us, <laughs> with the magnet. And joys were an ecstasy unbelievable in being of one mind and heart united with a magnet magnetized with the magnetism of the magnet I want for me God all of what you want for me and it's all I want because I know when you brought that about you're going to make me the happiest breathing human being on this planet Already experiencing a forties a prelude of what's in store when I shuffle off this mortal coil and become one spirit with your holy loving spirit. We've got to be very simple and sit down and get back to basics what does God mean when he says I love you? What am I supposed to mean when I say it back to him, I love you? All that's going on out there doesn't help you to discover or rediscover what those simple, simple words mean. All that's going on out there makes it more and more and more impossible to realize what those words mean on the lips of God, expressing what's in the heart of God. All quiet time is contemplating being moved to the very marrow of our being, the core of our innermost hearts, or realizing what God is like what his sentiments are towards us and with that creation within ourselves of the happiness the hope the realization that it's okay whatever I'm at whatever has been going on or is going on it's okay no panic or whatever is going to go on no fear fear not the number of times that God says that in the Bible are without number. Why are you fearful? Don't, Don't be afraid. afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm closer to you than the air that surrounds you, whatever befalls. And it's only with those realizations that we look then into our own selves and take inventory. Now, I'm not going to say very much about taking inventory, but I must say some things. In my book, there's only one real problem in my life, and more in all our lives, as I see life people. If there were no damn people to have to deal with, relate to, and be related to, by, Life would be wonderful, wouldn't it? People. My God, they drive you up the walls. And so, in my book, the biggie. The biggie is this whole business of resentments. I'm sure you've heard of them, have you? If only we could get rid of our resentments, once and for all, we'd have it made. And so I just want to say a few words about this business, of what to do about resentments. The first thing you do about them is you list them. You look them in the eye. You acknowledge them to yourself, and to God, and eventually to another human being. We're told that when we take inventory, we're to take inventory on just three topics. Resentments, fears, sex. When you've taken inventory on those three topics, you've bitten off, as the book says, large chunks of truth about yourself. When we take inventory on resentments, we are to concern ourselves about three objects of resentment that we can have. People, which means individuals, institutions, which means collectivities of individuals, and then what they call principles. P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E-S, not P-A-L-S. Although principles, A-L-S can be one hell of a problem, too. Principles means, I was given to understand, those kind of conventional ways of conducting life and so on that society or someone has laid down. You wonder sometimes, why am I so short-tempered? Why am I so mad and ready to explode? A whole lot of these irritations, trivialities, each one of them, but they pile up and pile up. And before you know where you are, you're ready to explode. You've got to get in touch with what's going on. All kinds of things. For me, one of the biggies is, I'll be, I'll be away now for uh, just two days by the time I get back tomorrow evening, and I want to tell you there'll be about 20-odd calls on my, my uh, thing, my uh, answering machine, and somebody has decided that when you've had the good look to be out of town when a call comes, you're expected when you go back to return the call. You can't thank God for the good luck that you missed it. No.
1: <laughs>
0: and of course every one of those involves a commitment to all sorts of They're un- they're amending these so called principles. You've got to return phone calls. Who 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 invented that one? <laughs> oh wait, there's very into them. Now, I want to talk though about Resentment against individual people. How do you get rid of them? How? In my book, you never can, you never will. There'll never come a day when we don't experience the emotion of anger. Never. Never angry at people. Why? Because we are animals. We are animals. Rational animals, yes, with a tiny spark of rationality in this animal body. This animal body which has nerves going all through it. Chemistry, exactly like the chemistry in the body of an animal. You stand on a dog's paw, you know what happens. It reacts with anger automatically, immediately. And you'd better get out of the way, you don't want your ankle bitten off. We are animals. People get on our nerves. All that that means is that we have nerves, period. It does not mean we're vicious, bad, corrupt. Uh, whatever you want to call it. Well, none of the above. We're simply animals. If you confront me with something that I regard as outrageous, I react automatically. I say, this is ridiculous. I'd be mad. Now, what do you do about all this? I know there are all kinds of things about what you do. The people who let you down, the people who... Or oh, they can be, you know the way they can be. So what do you do about it all? Well, you begin by acknowledging you're an and you can do nothing about it. Nothing. But how do you get rid of it? You see, we're more than animals. We have memories. And we can keep awareness of the hurt, of the injustice, the unfairness, the outrageousness. And we carry it around with us. We bring it to bed with us. We bring it to the bathroom with us. We bring it to the shower with us. We bring it into the car with us and drive around the place with it. And we can compose briefs, you know, what I'm going to say to that bastard, tonight, I? So on and so on. And we can't stop it. So what do you do? Well, I want to tell you some of the things that I have learned, not from books. I've learned that there's one more thing you have to add to those three things about God that I have listed there. As things to contemplate. There is a loving God. that is a saving God. And now the third thing. God is infinitely... Can you read that? God is detached. I've lived for 15 years now with the man I live with who's the pastor. It's been a stormy, stormy passage. He's an Irish man too. He's not an alcoholic. He knows I am and have been and uh, he lets me know he knows. And I, yeah, and I let him know, I know, he knows, and that what he knows is all, a lot of...
1: <laughs> 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 That's been stormy.
0: For years I've gone to meetings, and whenever I was asked to share, it was all the same old story, that bastard of a boss of mine. Until eventually someone came along to me and said, you know, You'd better do something about that. You really need to. You really need to. Either get out of there altogether and forever, or do something to make it possible for yourself to live without that massive resentment that's eating you up. Well, I said, like what? He said, get your ass into Alanon." You mean join the enemy? (laughs) Yes. 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 Well, you know, I did. And apart from joining AA, I want to tell you guys, there is nothing I have ever done that I'm more grateful to God for putting into my head to do. That whole lifestyle, that whole program, It's fantastic. Those people have insights that you and I should have and simply don't have. Have you ever thought, for instance, let's talk about, for instance, a poor little woman who's married to a joker like you or me, who's a practicing dreadful alcoholic, and she loves that man, she loves him. Can you imagine what's eating her up? Bertie he is destroying himself. She has lost him to the bottle, and it's because she loves him. It's because she wishes that God he'd stop drinking that she's forever frustrated, angry, lonely, bitter, unhappy. Have you ever tried to realize what she feels? And no matter what she does, she's doing the wrong thing. If she says to herself, I'm going to stop him drinking if it's the last thing I do, and rolls her sleeves up, hides the bottles, refuses to phone the firm when he has the flu again on a Monday morning or whenever. No, no, I'm not going to collaborate with you, and I'm going to get you to stop drinking. Can you imagine what's going to happen to her then? What she's going to get from here from him. Or suppose she says, Well, let him drink himself to death. I don't care. You think that's going to make her happy? She's in a terrible situation. We alcoholics have never, I think, realized what we put people through who have loved us, cared for us. And so... She decides to go to Alanon. Why does she go there? She doesn't go there to learn how to get her husband to quit drinking. Not at all. No, no, no. She goes there to acquire from a higher power that gives this thing in and through the fellowship and program of Alanon this thing called detachment. Now, what is detachment? Detachment is meant to be, and has to be, a component of you and my living, our whole living. This thing called detachment has to be built into it, or we're never going to know serenity. Detachment. What is detachment? attachment is a total, total mystery. Really a mystery. And there's no way you will ever either have an insight into what it consists in, let alone be able to practice or fulfill it in your hourly daily living, unless you look deeper than you've looked already into the heart of God. Into the heart of God. You see, detachment, it takes two statements to describe it. And the two statements are the direct contrary of one another, of each other. Detachment is both caring and not caring. All in the same breath. Detachment is both giving a damn and not giving a damn. All in the same breath. Now how in the name of God can we bring ourselves to have that kind of an attitude towards anybody or anything? By looking into the heart of God. Look again now, please. And this is the last time I'll bore you with mystery. God says to us, I love you. What does he mean by that? We've already seen some of what he means. I want for you, he said, everything that I want for myself, that I want for my beloved son. I want you to know the joy of learning to love the way I love. And you'll be loving me when you'll be wanting for yourself what I want for you. But when you do reciprocate my love by wanting for yourself everything that I want for you and thereby be loving me, don't you dare think for one moment that by reciprocating my love you're going to have me up on cloud nine. Who the heck do you think you are? A God who is dependent for even the tiniest little bit of his happiness or self-fulfillment on the likes of you. He's not God anymore, that's for sure.